0: You're listening to a year of spiritual formation. Each episode will share a message covering an aspect of our eight doctrinal focuses for the year. In addition, each series will include a bonus episode of Ask a Theologian, where Pastor Dave will sit down with the theologian to have a conversation about the series topic. Listen in for the second message in our second series, Christ Unboxed, where we learn about Jesus fully man, fully God. <laughs> So I got a toonie. Who gave me a toonie? Was that, was, was that you? Okay. I got a toonie. Here, you know, this interesting thing. Do okay, you notice that on this coin, there's two sides to it? Any of you ever seen a double-headed coin? Yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Double-headed coin. Two, two sides, two things. There, there's two different things on this coin. This happens to be a toonie. And uh, on one side, it's got a picture of it. It must be an old one because it's got the queen on here. And, the, uh, and then the other side's got a, a bear, a bear. Two different, two coins, but if I look at this side, it's still the same coin, right? And, and if I flip it over to this side, it's still the same coin. Like, this side is the whole coin, and that side is the whole coin. It's just one coin, but it's two sides. Does that, does that make sense? You know, here's, and we're talking today about Christology. And Christology study of Christ, but what I want to say about Christ today when we talk about this is something, uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down because it's a big word. It's the last big word I'll use today. No promises. All right. It, it's the phrase is the phrase is this, it's hypostatic union. What? Say what? Hypostatic union. Is it can, have we got the, the title screen there? It should be on there. Hypostatic union. Can you say that with me? Hypostatic union. This is an example of a hypostatic union. Two sides, one coin. Hypostatic is actually a term that the uh, a Latin term, and it refers, it's generally translated as person. Nature And so when we say hypostatic union, what we're trying to say is we're trying to say that Jesus came to earth with two natures, two natures. He came with a divine nature, fully God, but he also came with a human nature, fully human. And now, as hard as it is to understand, we've got to make up words to describe it, hypostatic union, we, we want to get a little understanding on that so we know why it matters for us so let's talk let's talk about that a little bit before we do that i want to go to first timothy chapter 3 verse 16. in first timothy chapter 3 verse 16 it's it's a it's an expression paul writes to the church or writes to his uh, uh his protege timothy but it's it's actually a lot of the scholars think that it was a hymn one of the early hymns of the church that they would get together and they would sing this uh, this verse 16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. I think we could put music to that one and sing that one. His, so here's the, here's the thing that, that we're looking at as we look about Christ, as we understand that Christ, there's a mystery involved here. There's something going on that we can't fully understand or can't fully appreciate. And, and Paul, as he writes, he says, beyond all question, the mystery. The mystery. This is a mystery. When we don't understand God, it's okay. You know, one of the things that we, I, I, well, you know, Pastor Osai mentioned it, but I, I can say as well, is that I love questions. I think the church should be a place where we can ask every question we ever have. Uh, I, I know you may have grown up in church and been kind of, uh, you know, told that you couldn't ask questions or felt like you couldn't ask questions. We're trying to create a kind of church where you can ask questions, where we can ask those things. We don't always get the answers because some things are mysterious. But we got to have permission to ask the questions about what goes on. And we want to wrestle through those things. So in this early hymn, they're talking about this mystery that is Jesus that is Jesus. And so today as we talk about it, we want to talk about this mystery of his hypostatic union. Everybody say it again. Hypostatic union. Say it again. Hy- union. You'll remember that thing before you go today, okay? So Jesus is fully divine, divinely human, and humanly divine. Jesus is divinely human and humanly divine. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ all of the fullness... Of the deity, talking about the trinity, all the fullness of the trinity lives in bodily form. In um, A guy by the name of John Frame, he writes this definition of hypostatic union. He says this, the union of Jesus' divine and human natures in his one person is called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic comes from the Greek word often translated person. So the hypostatic union is the personal union of Jesus to nature. So we have this coin. Two sides, one coin. Two natures, one coin. Right? So we're talking about Jesus. Jesus isn't a coin, but Jesus has two natures, one person. In uh, Stephen Wellm, who's a a scholar, he writes on Christology, and in fact he has a whole book on Christology. he He says this, he says this, he says, probably the most difficult question in Christology is how the two natures of Christ's deity and humanity are united together in one person. It's not easy. It's, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to understand. We're going to try it a little bit. One of the early creeds, and you've heard me talk a few times about creeds. Let me just kind of come back and say creeds are not, um, they're, they're old, but we, we bring them up because we're kind of, we're not a brand new Christianity here. Right. Christianity has been around for 2,000 years, and, and they actually had it figured out then too. And we, we tie back to that to remind us that we're not just a new thing all on our own. A lot of time to know where your, root, where your roots are helps ground you. Right. You know, even personally, when you know what your roots are, it grounds you. And so that's why we keep going back to these creeds, because they ground us in historic Christianity, which is really important. So the historic creed The Nicene Creed, when it talks about Jesus, here's what it says. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. I feel like I have to outshout Bob. Hey, by the way, don't tell this. But when he comes out, call him SpongeBob. I'm trying to start something for him. <laughs> Creed continues going on. Who for us men for our salvation? Uh, who for us men for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have. No end. Jesus, divinely human and humanly divine. So we're going to talk about something here first. Jesus came as the image of God. So there's another term I said. I wouldn't use a lot of big terms. Here's another term for it. The imago Dei it means the image of God. It's a Latin word. means the image of God, and you might find it in some literature. The imago Dei. So the Bible tells us in Genesis that we were created, that God looked down. And he says, I-, I want to make mankind in my likeness and my image. So, you know, there's a lot of question about how, you know, what was God's image look like in mankind? What, what do we actually look like in mankind? Jesus had an interesting story. Interestingly, it had something to do with the coin. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 16 to 22, he says, then they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Loaded question. Is it right to pay taxes or not? But Jesus, knowing their intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought it to him. And he asked, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. So he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And when they heard that, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, he says, here's a coin. It has an image on it. It has an image on it. Whose image is it? Caesar's. Queens, give that, give the one that has the image on it, give it to the person who has that image. But he, what he was also saying in that is he's saying, what image are we made in? What is our image? Whose image are we created in? Whose image were we made in? In Genesis, and we can put that verse up in Genesis, uh, in it, chapter 3, it says, let's, let's, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so God makes humanity in his likeness and his image. Now, that's what we call Imago Dei, the image of God. Now, the Imago Dei, when we talk about the Imago Dei, there's a lot of discussion about what that actually means to be made in the image of God. Because we know that God's a spirit and that God doesn't have a physical body the way we do, except that Jesus does. Trippy. and uh, But... We we can't just say, "Hey, I'm made in the image of God," because the reality is, is I don't look the same as everybody else. So if I'm in the image of God, one of you isn't. I mean, the rest of you aren't, right? If it's a physical likeness, then then I'm the only one made in the image of God, and the rest, which kind of would bring a little bit of arrogance, I would think, you know. But some people do that. Uh, so it's probably not the image of God's probably not related to our physical appearance but there are some things that we can understand the image of God to represent one of the things we can understand is that humanity in its uniqueness humankind has a moral element to our life dogs aren't moral come on there's no there's not a morality for animals animals are not moral creatures Plants aren't moral creatures. Humanity is the only animate creation that has a morality. Now, I, I, I'm convinced there's a God because I have a personal relationship with God. But aside from that, I think that the moral argument for God's existence is one of the most compelling arguments there are. See, here's the thing. Morality and behaving in a moral way doesn't make sense in an evolutionary sense. Because when we, how many of you know sometimes the right thing is still the right thing? Even when the results aren't favorable towards us? Why do we act that way? That works against our evolution to act in a moral way. And so we go back and say, well, maybe that's part of us that was created in the image of God because we do what's right even when it doesn't benefit us. And that's a moral sense. So part of the Imago Dei is this morality. There's also another sense in which the Imago Dei is this whole idea that, um, that we, have a, uh, we, were, we were put in place to look after the world, to reign over the world, to have dominion over the world, to take care of what God created. It's like God said, he said, I made this thing, I'm in charge of it, but you're like me. Let me give you responsibility for it. It's kind of like what we do with our kids. We give them responsibility for things that we are responsible for. You know, I'm the lead pastor of a church with three locations, but yet I give responsibility to those locations to pastors in each location. And I trust them with that, but that's part of how we, and they get, and they represent me when they when they minister, or and our kids represent us, and all those kinds of things. And so there's this Imago Dei is a sense in which we have been given the responsibility Cats haven't been given the responsibility to look after creation. At least not any cat I've met. Pigs haven't been given responsibility to look after creation. Right? Chimpanzees haven't been given responsibility to look after creation. I've been given responsibility to look after creation. And in that way, I look like God. Right? Does that make sense? Are you getting that to say? There's another way in which, which we, we carry the image of God. It's creativity and, and cognition and will. The ability to make decisions. The ability to be creative. Creativity is a unique human experience. Art doesn't exist in the animal kingdom. Ever think about that? Art doesn't exist in the animal kingdom. I mean, for goodness sake, monkeys throw their poop. I mind you, some humans have got art about that caliber too. But anyway, just saying. Uh, but, but artistic creativity is a unique human quality because we got that from God. I mean, think about the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, and God put in us creativity. And we should be celebrating our creativity because it's, it's how we are like God. It's an image of God, creativity, and there's a, and, and probably maybe just a, one other thought is, is being created in the image of God is our the imago Dei in us is also the ability to have relationship with God. We can meet God. We can communicate with God. We can relate to God uniquely of all of creation. Dogs don't pray. Elephants don't pray we pray intuitively we pray we're created in the image of god so along comes jesus divinely human humanly divine and the bible tells us that jesus comes as the perfect representation or the perfect imago dei the perfect imago dei so he he comes as the perfect representation of God. There's a, just kind of before I leave that, that whole thing aside. I, there, I, I'd like us to think, well, maybe I'll, I'll come back to it in a bit. In uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, it says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Jesus came as the perfect human. So what's that mean? Jesus shows us how to be human. Right? Sometimes we read the Bible and go, well, that's, you know, that's Jesus way above me. No, actually what Jesus is doing, the reason Jesus came as 100% human, perfect human, is so he could show us what it means to be human. I mean, let's look at Anybody read the Old Testament? There's a, anybody here, come on, you read the, read the Old Testament? There's some pretty poor examples of looking like God. I mean, come on, Curtis is right. Isn't it? Like, there's some pretty uh, horrendous examples uh, of the image of God. I mean, mankind has very badly represented God and sometimes continues to do so. And so Jesus comes on the scene as absolutely 100% human so that he can say, hey, this is what it means to be human. You haven't kind of figured it out yet, but this is what it means to be human. Let me show you what it's like to be human. And, and so we w- look at Jesus and we say, hey, this is, this is what it means to be human. And in, in, uh, uh, um, I, I love this. Leonard Sweet, who is an author, is well-written. Well Actually, I get to go. Uh, I'm taking a course with him right now, so that's why I'm quoting him. And... Uh, uh, and I hope he listens to the message so I get extra points and all the rest of that. But he but he, he makes this interesting statement because Jesus comes as 100% human. And he says this. He says, in the exercise of his authority, Jesus in the exercise of his authority, Jesus did not display his power. Wow. He exercised authority without displaying his power. And that's an interesting concept because... We think about Jesus living here on earth, and he's God, so he could do anything. But here's what he did. He didn't use his, I can do anything. He used his authority, which is, in my name, you can do this. So he comes, and he says, let me show you what it's like to be not just a human, but a human representing God. So here, I come, here comes Jesus, and, he, and he doesn't, So he doesn't say... He's on the cross. This this to me is amazing. He's on the cross, and everybody around him says something along those lines. If he's really God, why doesn't he call down all these angels and save himself? But he didn't have to prove he was God. He knew he was God, so he doesn't show his power. Instead, he exercises authority which is using somebody else's power, right? So this is, this is pretty incredible if you ask me. Not that anybody asked, but if you ask me, this is, this is pretty incredible because that means that what Jesus did, we can do. See, if Jesus acted out of his God nature while he was here on earth, We'd say, well, I can't do that. That's just God. But instead, he acted and used his authority without displaying his power so that we would have the example of what it really means to be a human in submission to God. That's why Jesus could say something like, maybe you've heard this, greater things than this, you will do. Right? That's pretty encouraging to me. Like I mean, I, I mean, to be entirely honest. I, I, don't, I don't know about you. You don't seem excited about it like I am. But I mean, it's, it's you know I, that that actually really excites me to know that if, when I read the pages of Scripture, when I read Matthew, Luke, J, uh, Matthew, Luke, James, and John, Matthew, Luke, <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There we go. I do read my Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we read that and we see what Jesus did, we go, "I could do that too." Yeah. Not because I have the power, but because I have the Authority, right? Not because Jesus was acting like God. He was acting like a human who lives in authority, right? So that becomes just absolutely profound to me. And uh, so, again, Steve, uh, Stephen Wallen says this. He says, since what it means to be truly human is revealed in and by the divine Son of God who is described as the true image of God. So Jesus shows us what it means to be absolutely and truly human, there's a little, little, uh, kind of a side note uh, that I, I just want you to think about. In uh, Mark chapter six, verse three, the uh, people who knew Jesus didn't really uh, appreciate him, and he said, "Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter?" And I, I just want to take a moment to look at that word because. That word, and, and we're not going to go back into the Greek so much, but I actually think that word is a little bit mistranslated. Uh, and the reason I think that is because it's, it doesn't get used a lot in the New Testament, in fact, but it gets used a lot in other literature of that time. And so it's been translated as carpenter, although probably it's more accurately, it's, 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 the word is called tectone, and uh, the, the word is it, it's probably more accurately translated as artisan, or even sculptor of stone. What the message here really is not that Jesus is just a simple carpenter, he's a craftsman. He's artistic and a designer. And I often think about, when I read that, and I go, if Jesus was not, you know, we think about, here's this carpenter, so we make him out as this macho, muscular, you know, guy who works with his hands. And he probably did, but he did it in an artistic, creative way. And I go like, boy, if that's how Jesus was, that makes me think a little differently about the freedom to be artistic, and, and where art plays in the church, and where music, and dance, and festival, all the rest of that, fits in the context Jesus was not simply boring and dull he was creative look at his stories that he makes up on the spot these are fantastic stories he's a creative person he shows us that humanity is creative I think out of the church some of the most incredible creative ideas should come because Jesus showed us how to be perfectly perfectly human what if Jesus was an artist? How would that change your view? of What it means to be like Jesus. Jesus divinely human and humanly divine. So we've talked about the amalgade, We've talked about perfectly human. But we can't forget that Jesus was absolutely 100% divine. He's the visible God. The visible God. So... One of the things that Jesus often did when he was talking, he'd say, he'd say things like this. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. Which, I, which when you put this all together, in my head, it's it's this incredible thing. Because here, God makes humanity in his image. And then he sends Jesus to show us what it's like to be human. And Jesus says, when you see me, you actually see God. To be fully human is to be in the image of God. Right? To act out of the way. And so Jesus comes along as this visible image of the invisible God. In in, um, Colossians chapter 1, it says it this way. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth, and through Him to reconcile. Sorry, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. So Jesus comes. Perfectly human, but the visible God. The absolute perfect representation of God. Perfect representation of what it means to be human, but also the perfect representation of God. So we couldn't see the invisible God, but now Jesus comes along and says, "This is if you could see, this is how he behaves. This is how he acts. One of the things that, The indivisibility of God's two natures, Jesus' two natures, his human nature and his divine nature says to me is that we far too often separate the sacred from the secular. I'm a a third-generation Christian. My parents, my grandparents, so I, I grew up in church, and I know that's not everybody's situation, but I grew up in church, and when I grew up in church, there was secular music, and there was Christian music. Is that still a thing? Sure. <laughs> Secondary music, but Jesus perfectly combined those two together. So wherever he went, it was sacred. But wherever he went, it was also <laughs> physical, normal we have this tendency in our world to try to separate. This is my good side. This is my bad side. You know, this is, you know, I'm at church. I behave this way. And I'm at work. I behave differently. I, I, I may have said this here before. I know I said in some of our locations. But a few years ago, I said to people, I think we should be able to, if, if you can tell the joke Wednesday in the lunchroom, you can tell it at church on Sunday. Which made some really interesting Sundays. And But the thing is, we, got, God's, divine nature and human nature put together one person means i'm not supposed to be a different person when i walk through those doors things don't magically change there was a guy that uh, when i first took over uh, a church back in 1990 there was a guy his wife used to come to church i remember visiting him and i said hey you know you could come to church he was an older gentleman i said you could come to church if you want he said no i couldn't come to church i said why couldn't you come to church he said well the truth is he said if i came in the doors the lightning would hit I couldn't figure out why he thought he was so special, but anyway, he said, "He said no lightning would hit." I said, "Why would lightning hit if you came to church?" Well, I drink whiskey. Well, we could, we would celebrate that now, I think maybe, but you know, I mean, what, you know, I'd go which kind? You know what? You know, no, no I'm just kidding, not really. But anyway, uh, you know, the 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 thing is, is that we we so separate. Well, this is my, you know, this is how a Christian behaves. Actually, a Christian behaves like a human. If we're like Jesus, we're we're behaving like real human people, and because we're divinely empowered by the Spirit of God that's in us, we're just human, and so we we become attractive because we're just like Jesus, right? Living in a human body but showing the divine God, and so the two come together. And man, I wish I could say more about this, but I, I just want to come that Jesus is the perfect union between the divine and the human, perfect union between the divine and the human. Jesus is divinely human, humanly divine. When we want to know how to put those sides of ourselves together, we're not, we're not supposed to live our lives like, this is my you know, Sunday side, this is my Monday side, this is my spiritual side, this is my normal side. <laughs> Jesus eliminates that option for us. He just eliminates that option for us puts it all together and comes to us and says just live like this what an incredible, incredible thing I want to pray for you this morning as we kind of come to the end And you know one of the things that I said earlier I talked about the Imago Dei and I said one of the things the Imago Dei is that we're moral we we have an intuition to do things morally, we have an intuition to do that and I, I believe that comes from the creator God Thanks for tuning in to a Year of Spiritual Formation podcast. To learn more about C3 Church in Central BC or for additional resources, head to c3church.ca.